Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane. We're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Today, we're going to look at the uh, Gospel according to St. Luke, the 21st chapter, the 5th through the 19th verse. It's, uh, it's what we call an apocalyptic gospel. It's Jesus talking about the end times. And uh, first of all, we, we have to create a framework in which, in which to put all this. Um, and, and that is a very, very simple reality of our own lives, that, that everything has a beginning and everything has an end. And um, that kind of framework of beginning and end, Jesus says the Alpha and the Omega, we have to put this gospel and this whole thematic of the gospels about the end of time, about the end of the world, about the second coming of Christ, into into the con into the context of of a reality that exists in time between the beginning of time and the end of time, and that's what he's talking about. And so, the gospel starts out and says, when some were talking about the temple. Remarking how it was remarking about how it was ordained with fine stonework and votaroff offerings. Jesus said, All these things you are staring at now, the time will come and not a single stone will be left on another. Everything will be destroyed. And they put him to this question. Master, they said, when will this happen then? And what sign will there be that this is about to take place? So Jesus now focuses on the temple. <clears throat> And for us to understand the impact of what he's saying to the disciples, the temple was one of the most magnificent buildings, um, handiworks of men in the ancient world. It was, uh, it was of white stone. It had a gold facade. It was enormous. And coming, and it sat, of course, on the hill in Jerusalem. And coming from far distances in the sunlight and so forth, you could see the Temple of Solomon. Many considered it one to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, today, we have, you know, but kind of the foundation of it left, and even that is impressive. So here was something then that seemed forever. A stone edifice that rising up out of the deserts um, with fabulous wealth within it and around it, the whole idea that here the sacrifices to the Lord took place, those sacrifices which in the ancient world were seen to be essential for the continuing presence of God in the midst of the world, in the midst of human history. Um, we know, for instance, that <clears throat> that um, the science of the ancient world, especially during the authorship of the, of the book of Genesis, in its multiple parts, um, were in, in fact kind of a, a taking of the scientific world of Babylon and interpreting it then through the lenses of faith. We, um, we, we have a hard time, I think, sometimes when, and I think this was very, very common back in the 70s and 80s in, in religious education to say, well, you know, the story of Genesis is a myth. And for us, in, in our popular culture, myth means a fairy tale. But myth does not mean a fairy tale in its essence, in its deepest meaning. Myth means a human attempt to explain something which is inexplicable in any other way. 
We are surrounded with myth today, for instance, all sorts of scientific realities that uh, we were very, very attached to even 50 years ago have kind of faded away now. <clears throat> And we realize that our explanations were inadequate for the phenomenon that we were trying to explain. Well, that's the way, that was the dependency of, Gen of Genesis on the Enuma Elish, the Babylonian creation story. And uh, without going into the intricacies of the Babylonian creation story, um, it, it came into being through conflict and war in the, uh, in the Babylonian sense. And in the end, it ended up with the god of the earth, Marduk, whose job it was, and the people's job was to appease Marduk so that he would not let the world be destroyed. So sacrifice was always seen as a connectivity between existence and, and obliteration, that what hung those together was sacrifice. Well, that idea of the importance of sacrifice, of course, comes over into into. Israel, because as they explain the creation of the world, they do it, but the radical difference between Genesis and the Enuma Elish tells us exactly what the Hebrews believed. While in the Enuma Elish, the Babylonian creation story, it comes into existence through conflict and war among the gods. In Genesis, it comes through the word, through God simply says, let there be light, and so forth. And so, so we find a remarkable difference in the use of myth from the Babylonian to the development of the theological treatises of, of the book of Genesis. But one of the things that, that still carries over into the ancient mind and into our own is the fact that there is sacrifice to, to the Lord. There is sacrifice to the God of Israel. And that properly takes place in the temple in Jerusalem. Hence, it is a magnificent building because it is that presence, that place, which represents the connectivity between past and future, between heaven and earth. And so for Jesus then to be able to say that the temple is going to be destroyed is nothing but shocking that if the temple is destroyed, then what is there? We can no longer properly offer sacrifice to the Lord. We, um, we somehow or other, this, this, this bond between the past and the future is gone. Somehow this, this symbol of God's presence among us is destroyed. Uh, it is an apocalyptic vision for those who are hearing it. It is a vision that is beyond comprehension that how that the utter destructiveness of what Jesus is saying is something that slips our minds when we think about the temple simply as, as kind of a, a cathedral church of some kind for ancient Judaism. It's much more than that. We have seen the destruction of many cathedrals and we continue on through history. They could not comprehend moving forward without the temple in their midst. So they put this question to him <clears throat> after he says it's going to be destroyed. When will this happen? And what sign will there be that this is about to take place? In other words, if this catastrophe is going to happen to us, you know, how do we prepare? What, what do we do? Um, do we just sit back and say, well, you know, the, the Lord said the temple is going to be destroyed, so we just wait for it to be destroyed and then see what happens? No. This was, this was an existential threat to their very existence that Jesus was talking about. And therefore, it commanded their attention. And, and the, the questions that they ask are questions of survival. 
And Jesus says, once they ask him, uh, will, there, will there be signs? What, how do we know this is going to happen? What, what can we do? And, uh, and I think oftentimes in, in the face of colossal catastrophes, one of the things, you know, can we do something? Can we help in some way? Is there anything we can do? Is there anything we can do to avoid it? Is there anything we can do to prevent it? How do we handle it when it comes? And so forth. We see all sorts of disasters. And, uh, and they bewilder us and they raise these very questions within ourselves. So that Jesus talking about basically the end of time is engaging in, in dramatic ways those who are listening to him. And he says to them, well, take care, first of all, not to be deceived. In other words, don't let somebody interpret this event for you who is not myself, for, for I will. I am the only authentic interpreter of the ways of the Lord, the ways of God. He said, many will come using my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. We're going to have many false prophets, and certainly in the days that, the Luke's, that uh, Luke's gospel is being written, there were those arising in Israel who were saying, you know, we are the new Messiah. There was a Thutis and a Judas of Galilee, and there was some Egyptian Jew who also was, was proclaiming that. So Jesus was not talking into a vacuum. This kind of deception, this kind of deceit was, was all around. And he said, don't pay any attention to that. Listen just to what I am saying to you. So he says, refuse to join them. And when you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened, for this is something that must happen but the end is not so soon. In other words, this trial now, the struggle now of to be faithful to the Lord as the ages unfold in front of us. And when we can say to ourselves then, you know, is this the time or is this the time? Things seem to be so bad. We live now in an absolutely nihilistic culture. And we say to ourselves, well, you know, could the end be near now? And, and certainly it's a legitimate question, and it's a question that part of our faith is to harbor that question. Um, and to harbor that question in deep inside of ourselves. And to say to ourselves, you know, is, is this the unfolding of the history of the story of, of, of humanity? This is what humanity has done with the beauty of the creation that God has given it. You know, we, through the darkness of our own sinfulness and through the infidelity of our people and the infidelity of the church, of the members of the church throughout the ages, something we experience certainly very dramatically today, um, as that it's a struggle, it's a moving through time. And it's telling us, you know, that these are the things that must happen. Don't become so distressed and so upset because we are moving inevitably then. We are moving inevitably toward the final age. Um, and, and, you know, in, in the story of, of the church of the last, of the last uh, I don't know, 70, 80 years, um, we've had all sorts of people step forth with visions about what, ha what is happening to the world. One of the early kind of prophets of the end of time was, uh, was Thierry de Chardin and his work, Le Devin Milieu. And uh, basically, you know, he was just seeing as an inevitable evolution from, from the world that we know into the parousia. 
um, that kind of created a great deal of resistance because there seemed to be no powers of resistance within his evolutionary vision. And people complained he has no sense of original sin, he has no sense of actual sin. He just sees evolution as overriding the freedom of humanity. Um, a Dutch theologian, Piet Schoenenberg, um, came kind of to the rescue of Chardin, and uh, he wrote a book called Man in History, in, in which he, uh, he says, yes, this evolution toward the end, this inevitable movement toward the end is underway, but it is, it is um, resisted and detained and put off track from time to time by the story of humanity and the sinfulness and the evilness of humanity. And so there is then this struggle between humanity and, the, and destiny. And I, and I think that's, that's kind of a, a helpful image for us to have, a struggle between humanity and destiny. That the destiny of the world is to come, is to, is to come into an end in the second coming of the Lord. Um, Saint Irenaeus of Lyon referred to it as the anacaphaliasis in Christo, the recapitulation of all things in Christ, all things returning to their source, in other words. Um, a vision shared by Chardin and one corrected by Sconenberg saying that well, it, it is a destiny that we all share, but it is not just simply an unobstructed um, passageway through time that humanity constantly throws obstacles in the way of our destiny. And that is what Jesus is saying, nation will fight against nation, kingdoms against kingdoms. There will be great earthquakes and plagues and famines here and there, and there will be a fearful sights and great signs from heaven. That in this, in this tension between humanity and destiny, we will be able, we will see humanity at its worst from time to time in the ghastly wars that we fight and, and impose upon each other and the destructiveness that we are capable of against each other's lives. And as we, we, we hover in, in, in the contemporary age with a, an increasing threat of a, of a cat, cataclysmic war, um, we have to be there that Jesus says, you know, and he said, Do, don't be frightened, for this is something that must happen, but the end is not so soon. So that there is now this trajectory, and in this trajectory, we are experiencing the resistance to destiny. And, and, uh, and, and, and I think, I don't know, I just think that's, that's a useful um, image for us to possess in order to interpret this apocalyptic literature. But it says, but before all this happens, men will seize you and persecute you, and they will hand you over to synagogues and to imprisonment, and bring you before kings and governors because of my name, and that will be your opportunity to bear witness. He predicts then in this, not only the destruction of the temple, but he predicts also the persecutions that are going to take place and the persecutions that actually formally began from the Roman Empire in 64 AD with Nero's burning of the Christian section of the city of Rome, killing how many, who knows how many, how many Christians in Rome. Um, <clears throat> and from then on, the sporadic and, uh, and continuing uh, persecutions that went on within Christianity. There is a revisionist history, um, and, and um, that that is tending to come out and say, well, you know, there really weren't these persecutions and so forth. But, but you know, we have too much primary evidence of that, and and too much. For instance, even in the journey of Ignatius of Antioch, 
um, to Rome to be to be thrown to the beasts in the Colosseum. He's talking about something that everybody's familiar with. Um, if it didn't happen, people wouldn't have been familiar with it in Asia Minor, and uh, and yet they are. So they know these things are going on. Um, we have, you know, we also have uh, dialogues that were written at the time of the persecutions and so forth of the various martyrs that came forth. So we, we, have, to, we have to realize that, um, we, we, we have to realize that, that what, what the modern world wants to do, the reason that there's a revisionist history of this actually is because Christians in the contemporary world are beginning to talk about being persecuted within our own societies. And we certainly know that, you know, government, uh, law enforcement agencies, raiding homes of, of pro-lifers and all of that kind of thing is, uh, is bizarre. And it's, it's something that, that we have to take into account. That, and, and these people that they're taking even now out of their homes go before the magistrates, go before the judiciary, and all of this kind of thing. So bring you before kings and governors because of my name, and that will be your opportunity to bear witness. We already have seen this, for instance, in the rise of the Soviet Union and uh, the persecution of the Christians, the people you know, becoming convinced that Christianity was an evil presence within them. Um, that same kind of narrative is being purported now by, by the progressive media, that somehow or other Catholicism is a, is a cancer within society and that we have to resist its influence and we have to remove whatever privileges it might have within the society. Um, we even have leading politicians saying, well, you know, the, the Catholicism wouldn't be so bad, but they're going to have to change their theology and all of this kind of thing. So, yeah, so this is not just an ancient thing. This is, Jesus is talking to us about the ages in which humanity lives as we progress toward our final destiny, which is the recapitulation of all things in Christ, which is the return of creation to its source. And so he said, this is just your opportunity to bear witness. For our lives are giving to, uh, given to us as, as we know. Our lives are given to us um, in order that we might bring others with us into the kingdom. No one is created simply to bury the treasure in the backyard. All of us are given it, given it in order that we might let it spread and let it have impact and, and draw others into this mystery of, of the strange story of, of humanity. And, uh, and that so forth, and that in so doing, he says, Jesus says about witness, because a witness is probably the strongest way that, that we proclaim the gospel in most of our lives. Um, we have to have these, this external witness, um, even if it is just an internal goodness and peace, it still shows on, on the outside so that other people are able to see it and be drawn to it. In his, and you know, and and to 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 give impetus or to give uh, importance to what he's saying about this destructiveness that is going to be part of this journey, um, the temple, in fact, was destroyed in in seventy A.D., some basically less than forty years after the death of the Lord, and. Uh, <clears throat> So that that prediction, that sign of, of perpetual, in other words, being anchored in the world perpetually was, was taken away because the 
anchor of God in the world was destroyed in 70 AD in, in, uh, in one of the uprisings of the Jews against, against the Roman Empire. Um, it was not torn down stone by stone, but it was burned. And uh, we know that even the stone facade and so forth that was supported, we read that in, in the Old Testament during the construction of the temple, it was constructed also uh, with, with timbers as, as we use steel beams today. And, uh, and it, was, it was the fire that did that. In the, against, the orders, against the orders of the general, the soldiers were so furious at the resistance that the, that the Jews were giving them in their, in their quest to take over the city of Jerusalem that in anger they burned down their temple. And, and that became then a new symbol. It became a symbol of the passage of time rather than the permanency of time. And uh, it remains even today in a strange sort of way. There's the, the mosque of the, of the dome is, is now on top of where the temple was. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's nothing compared with what the temple used to be. But it is also the sign of the, of, of the movement of the times from, from permanency to, to, uh, to change and, uh, and uncertainty. And so he says, you know, you have the opportunity now um, to, to bear witness, in other words, to let others see the depth and the seriousness of how we believe. If we capitulate today under, under the pressures that come to us, and many have, many have simply walked away, it's good for them socially to do so, and it's good for them oftentimes politically to do so. Um, we watch our politicians walk away daily from the faith. Um, because to to adhere to it would be you know not advantageous to them in in their public office, and so Jesus says, don't don't worry about what you're going to say. Be the witness. Don't worry about what you proclaim. I myself shall give you an eloquence, and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to resist or to contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relations and friends, and some of you will be put to death. Um, I know that that hearing the stories when I was young of the of the Soviet Union, where families betrayed each other, um, as to to because they thought a brother, a sister, a mother, a father was an enemy of the state, and the state, of course, was their absolute during the during the Marxist regime of the of the uh, Soviet Union. Um, we see that too. I know that in 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 the Third Reich. We, we find it in, in uh, I was personally at the, the death camp of Mauthausen before it was sanitized into a museum. And there's a cemetery plot in there for priests and nuns. Um, <clears throat> and uh, and I, I know that there was a perpetual adoration uh, convent uh, in Innsbruck. And uh, the buses came and loaded the sisters onto the buses and took them to Mount Houses and executed them. So, yeah. So, and, and so you, you will be put to death. And people have been put to death. They say that in the 20th century, and I don't know the statistics, but there were more Christian martyrs in the 20th century than there were in the first, in the first 20 centuries of the church's history. Um, the, the total destruction of... Uh, attempted destruction of the church is is unbelievable 
we do it more subtly in the contemporary age and within our culture. We, we find ways to discredit, to marginalize, to, de to demonize, to denigrate, and so forth as, as, as a way of reducing the influence of the church, as a way of kind of scarring the temple of the anchor of God in the midst of the world. Um, but it, it goes on, and what Jesus says, it's your opportunity to bear witness that we don't give up, that, that we don't capitulate. And then he says, you will be hated by all men on my on account of my name, but not a hair of your head will be lost. Your endurance will win you your lives. And, and I, I think that what he is promising, of course, is eternal life to those who remain faithful to him through all of the vagaries and through all of the tragedies and through all of the upheavals of, of the human story. As, as we, we, we journey then in this created element of time from origin to destiny. And um, to, to, to make it somehow or other, you know, there's, there's a line in a poet um, a lifetime is for now, a life is forever. That what Jesus is not promising them is a lifetime. What he's promising them is a life, a life that, that transcends time and a life that becomes an eternal moment with Christ. Something that is the goal of, of every Christian, the goal of, of being saved. So for ourselves, I think it's an important time in history for ourselves to ponder these things, to reflect upon these things, to let them, let them ruminate in our minds and in our hearts, for we can too easily get discouraged and we can too easily throw up our hands and think all things are hopeless. But in the fact, Jesus has already warned us that on this journey there will be catastrophes. We will see, certainly, and there have been, you know, prophecies, great apostasy within the church. We're seeing that at every level of the church. There will be, there will be, we, we are certainly in one of the more dangerous uh, periods of time right now with, um, with war rage and potential war all around us of a, of a, of a huge, of a huge uh, significance. So, but we, we, we dare not, we dare not become in some way discouraged and say, you know, like many have done, well, none of this would happen if there was a God, and, and give up because Jesus has already told us that this is part of our life, this is part of our experience. And he is to also say to us, behold, I am with you all days, even unto the consummation of the world. We, we, we needn't fear in any way, shape, or form that Jesus abandons us. We are perplexed oftentimes at how he manages to deal with every age and every time. Um, but we ourselves are called, as he says, to give witness. And that if we are called upon to testify, we are, he said, don't worry about it because I will give you, I will give you an eloquence and a wisdom that no one will be able to, to resist or to contradict. That the Lord is with us, the Spirit is with us, and as we journey on this precarious journey, let us always have confidence and trust in the presence of the living God in our lives and in our world. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com.